Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel and this is One on One, Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Welcome back to Matan's one-on-one podcast. Each week we spend 30 minutes speaking about a seminal figure or idea on that week's Parsha. Today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Rabbanit Shira Mirili Mervis, the Rabbanit of Kehilat Shirat Tamar, to speak about the commentator, the Orachaim, and what he has to say on our parasha. Shira, it's great to have you here. Shalom. Great <laughs> to be here. Uh, so let's hear a little bit about the Orachaim, uh, where he was from, what his uh, approach was in life to Torah. So, Harav Chaim ben Atar, uh, who is named after his Saba, who taught him Torah when he was young, uh, he was born in 1696 in Morocco, in a place called Salah. It's a little village. Uh, and he is a son of a family of Rabbanim. So, from the moment that he was born, he was learning Torah with his Abba and with his Saba. And uh, he was meant to be a rabbi ever since from a young age. He grew up to be one of the greatest uh, Parshanei Torah, like he wrote his main uh, commentaries on the Torah, and it's called Orachaim, and that's how he got his nickname. He's named after his book. His book name is Orachaim, and, and, but he also wrote a commentary on Gemara. He wrote Chifetz Hashem, which is uh, about the Gemara on different Masachtot, and Pritoar, which is Halachic book, a uh, commentary on Shulchan Aruch, according to the four different uh, phases of Shulchan Aruch, obviously Orachaim, which is his main work about the Torah, commentary on Torah, and more questions and answers of, of Halacha and Igrot, meaning uh, different letters he wrote. Different letters, mm-hmm. and, and I would say like laws of community laws of how to behave in his community and in Bichlal when he was well known in Morocco and then in all of the countries, Islamic countries that received his letters and received his Halacha. He didn't have easy life, I would assume, like everyone during that age, it wasn't an easy age to grow up in. When you read about, you you read about all the different commentators, and here I'll give a little little plug for a book by Avigal Rak, which is right now, exists only in Hebrew, but it also will be, it's in the middle of being translated to English, called Pelshane Hamikra, different uh, biblical commentators. But you read about the lives of all these commentators, and I mean, I just wonder how they're able to still be prolific in their writing while under such suffering, whether they're refugees or all their family dies or all their children die. And it's, it's an unbelievable thing that they're, they were still able to, you know, put out their life's work while they were living lives that were in varying length and were full of a lot of suffering. I, I think it's, uh, it's not only that it's related, but it's depending on one another. Meaning mm-hmm. I think Torah was their anchor in life. That mm-hmm. was their love. That was their passion. And when everything was going wrong around them, they were sitting and writing their Torah and thinking of Chidushim and how to, to write the commentary that they have on Torah and Gemara Halacha. And I think that's what kept them going. Really that's how I, that's how I see it. That was their passion in life. So what happened in his life? What were his uh, trials and tribulations? So, you know, the regular thing, famine and, uh, um, and there was the, the rulers of Morocco that uh, didn't like the Jews and did like the Jews. You know, every couple of years, uh, it was different. Mm-hmm. Um, um, 
so he had to walk around like he had to go to exile a couple of times he went out to different from Salah he went to Fez and then he came back to Salah and then he went to Italy because he wanted his book to be published and then he sent he was able because in Morocco because of the the Islamic law there weren't any printers so mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to print anything so or Haima Kadosh um he 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 did crowdfunding <laughs> and he went to Italy to publish his books and then he was able to send it around the world. And then he went back to, to, to his community in Salah and then he decided to go to Israel because it was very hard in Morocco. There was no food. There was no money. There was no work. And uh, his father-in-law who was supporting him and his family uh, passed away. And, uh, and then, then he had no money to support his family anymore mm. and he decided to take his Two wives and uh, I read kids. that that he didn't have children with the first so he also he had children it was he didn't have girls. the first ah really Ken. so oh. they had they had they had they had uh, girls and after 10 years of having only girls he married the second wife and uh, they lived all together I know for us and through our eyes our modern eyes today it sounds like I could never imagine such a reality but I think it was uh it was custom it wasn't such a big deal it was something that existed so it existed but it wasn't something that they encouraged right like you had to have a good reason mm-hmm. for example not having sons uh, and also more than 10 years uh, like oh, you need wow. to give it a, a it was a minimum there was a minimum, there was a minimum uh, um, so he and both of his wife and their kids uh, he had already sons from uh, from his second wife and they all came to Israel uh, at the age of 43 and then four years later he passed away um, and he's buried together with his wife with the second wife he is buried in Harazetim uh, it's easy to find his grave tomb his uh, kever mm-hmm. because it's colored in blue So it's Mamash uh, you can see it. That's because of his connection his connection to Kabbalah. That's because of his connection to Kabbalah uh-huh. and his Talmidim and his followers uh, colored his tomb in in uh, in blue. Okay, so for those listening, imagine why in Sfat, for example, you have a lot of blue, blue painted arches. Uh, that that color, which, which is why is that associated with Kabbalah? Because Tchelet Dome Le Yam, Yam Dome Le Rakia, and Rakia is Dome Le Kisya Kavod. Right, the Midrash that connects the, the, the color of blue to yeah. the blue to God's Blue is resembling the, the ocean, the ocean is resembling the, the color of the sky, and the sky is where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sitting, right. and yeah. that's why... Blue is like the connection in between heaven and earth. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have a lot of things that you can find in blue. Um, so we started saying that he, he wrote his commentary according to Kabbalah. Uh, but I think one of the things that he became famous for is his drashot. He used to give a lot of shiurim and divrei Torah in shul throughout the week and during Shabbatot. And to those drashot at the beginning, it was just his immediate community. But later on in the years, it became to be something well known. And I actually found a research saying um, that even the woman used to come. Uh, and think about it, we're talking about the 17th century wow, yeah. and in Morocco. And they had a special room. There, there's a description of a special room for the woman that they'll be able to hear the divrei Torah of of the, the Orachayim HaKadosh. Um, I think the most interesting um, um, thing about, about uh, uh, Orachayim HaKadosh 
is to try and understand his connection to the Baal Shem Tov. Uh, if we look at the line of Hasidut, uh, so we have a Baal Shem Tov and we have a Ariya Kadosh and we have Tzfat, uh, and how come Orachayim Kadosh, who's Bichlal from the other side of the world, from Morocco, and has nothing to do with the, the Jews in Russia and in Poland, um, how are they connected? So there's a lot of uh, stories about how are they connected. I, I, the one that I uh, think about the most is the one that is just saying that they had a Chavruta, a Baal Shem Tov in Russia, in uh, wherever he was, in Ukraine, and Orachayim uh, HaKadosh, who was sitting in Morocco, and they had a Chavruta in the Shemaim, and a Baal Shem Tov is saying, that Orachayim HaKadosh, he told his students uh, that they should go and find the commentary on Torah of Orachayim HaKadosh because Orachayim learned his Torah from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And when Abal Shem Tov is telling his students that he's going up Be'aliyot Neshama to learn Torah in heavens, this is where he meets Orachayim HaKadosh and they learn together. Um, so I think it's interesting to try and, and understand. And we think that they're, they're connected because some ideas of the Baal Shem Tov are expressed in the Orachayim's commentary, meaning what's our, what's our thought to connect the two of them? Because Abal Shem Tov told his students to go and find Orachayim books okay. and learn them, and Orachayim told his students to go and search for the Torah yeah, okay. of Abal Shem Tov and to learn it. Wow. That there is a great light in the Torah of Abal Shem Tov, and Abal Shem Tov said the same thing to his students without having emails in between them too. <laughs> and there's a, a story that is well known that one Shabbat, Habal Shem Tov was washing his hands before the meal and then he turned around to his students and he said, Kaba Ora Ma'aravi, yeah. which is in English. The Western light has been dimmed. And then Habal, and the students didn't understand and Habal Shem Tov explained that there's every generation, there's one person who understands the true Kavana of Netilat Yadayim. And during their generation, it was Orachayim HaKadosh. And suddenly, during that Shabbat, Habal Shem Tov washed his hand, Netilat Yadayim, and all of a sudden, he understood Netilat Yadayim. He understood the Kavanot, mm-hmm. the, the Kabbalic Kavanot of Netilat Yadayim. And then, because he understood it, he also understood that Orachayim passed held it away. before was no longer around. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the Kavana came to him. So, Motzei Shabbat, they wrote letters, and then, uh, the story is actually in research uh, is to the same Shabbat that Orachayim actually passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was some sort of unexplained connection between a Baal Shev Tov and Orachayim. There is a lot of research trying to say that they've met in Israel when Orachayim came to visit and a Baal Shem Tov in one of his journey was in Israel and maybe they have met and maybe they have learned together. But I don't know. I don't have any historic accurate uh, research to say that it truly happened. So I'm not sure if they met in heaven if they met in Israel, if I mean, they look, haven't met also, at all. It's not even, it's not something so wild. I Meaning many of us know, you could take a story of, of twins, but there are many people who, who report that they feel very, you know, energetically connected to somebody connected. else. And yeah. they can feel when something happens or they can feel, you know, when somebody passed away. That's something that, that again, it's not something you hear every day, but you walk through life, you hear that. It happens. It doesn't sound to me, doesn't sound to me wild at all. The connection seems incredibly deep. Yes. Um, especially if they were able deep. to learn Torah from each other. <laughs> and because, because it goes to the students, meaning right. the students of Orachayim HaKadosh are learning Baal Shem Tov and the student of Baal Shem Tov. I remember it hit me when I went to Uman, to Daven, to Rabbi Nachman, and at the entrance to the, to the grave of Rabbi Nachman, you have pictures of Rabbi, so you would have pictures. There's no picture of Baal Shem Tov, obviously, but there's pictures of Rabbi Nachman and Rabbi Natan and mm-hmm. all the lines of Hasidut, and all of a the sudden there's a picture of the Ben Ishchai. And I, 
walk in the street walking to the to Reb Nachman and I'm like what's the Ben Ishchai have to do with Reb Nachman Mibreslev it has kilu it's mamash not connected wrong region yeah Ken, wrong region wrong person wrong language everything and then because Ben Ishchai is a student of Orachaim Akadosh and because Abal Shem Tov appreciated Orachaim Akadosh it went down the line mm-hmm. and though the students of Abal Shem Tov are learning Ben Ishchai they're learning Orachaim Akadosh and it's all masorot of interpreting Torah through Kabbalah now I don't learn Kabbalah I don't I don't understand Kabbalah I don't learn Kabbalah I I I don't know it. But learning Orachayim HaKadosh, um, it gives me an, uh, uh, an option to pick or to take a closer look. It's something that I don't know and I don't understand. And I understand that I don't understand. Uh, but it gives me some taste to it. It's okay, by the way, because on another podcast, we have a discussion with someone who teaches us Kabbalah on the Kabbalah. podcast. So we're all... But she, she's an expert in Kabbalah. <laughs> she is an expert in Kabbalah. So I'm just trying Kabbalah. to say I'm not an expert in Kabbalah and I know that I'm not. Uh, but I think what's, what's interesting is that Orachayim was adopted by the Rebbe Mitzans. Mm. By, and he is mentioned, like his commentaries are mentioned and quoted in different books that are in the lines of Hasidut. And I think I find it very interesting. And they said, even if you don't know Kabbalah, and even if you don't understand Kabbalah, have the books of Orachayim in your house, just like as a, something that will guard the house. Mm. Just like uh, Kabbalah people will have Zohar in their house because it guards the house so have Orachayim in your house even if you don't understand it mm-hmm. so like putting meaning to just having the books around or meaning to the to the interpretation of Torah of Orachayim uh, gives them some sort of powers some sort of uh, yeah some uh, sort of uh, protection can, you know it's also so interesting is is when someone is able to be successful in And speak to the generation of his time. I and mean, we have people, let's say like Rabbi Nachman, who was not overly popular in his lifetime. Okay. Uh-huh. And took a few years. For all different reasons, there were different waves in which his Torah, you know, became more popular, of course, today, because everything has become very individualized. So his very individualized view of Avadat Hashem is also one of the many reasons why his Torah has become so popular uh, among people who are far fl- flung from the world of, uh, of Hasidut. But it's always something I find really special when someone in their lifetime, because right? the Ochaim was loved in his lifetime as well. He's also <laughs> loved today, but there's something that's extra sweet when somebody is able to be loved. And it, we have that interesting dichotomy with all kinds of art forms, right? Whether someone is a singer or they're a, or they're a, like, do you recognize their genius? Their, their, their genius. genius right. Is, are people able to time. see it at, in their time or is it something that speaks to people later because of all different changes that happen? I, I think about it in a very, Uh, in a very different realm, but I think about, let's say, the success of Hanan Ben-Ari, for example, as a singer. How amazing it is for him. He's in a moment in time where he is so on, he is so energetically relevant, uh, relevant to people all different levels of society. You know, it doesn't matter their religious background. There's something about the combination, the treasure of his sound, his words, and the genuine kavanah, the genuine intention behind his singing that is able to capture people. And it's right now. He's speaking right now to those people. So it's just, I'm just sharing that thought because it always fascinates me. Who's who's able, and, and much of it is beyond their ability to explain. I mean, the Orachayim was a shiluv. He was some sort of, Of, of combination of also of Kabbalah and Hasidut and also and Halakha and Halakha and able to, to be relatable to the people okay. that it was some sort of 
magical. So I don't、um, see it as magical. I, I think I think there's two. No, no, also magical, maybe. But I'm very rationalist、okay. in my life. Well, I think there's two reasons for it. I、okay. think first of all, Ochaim put in a lot of effort in order to. People know his Torah, and、mm-hmm. the first effort was giving a lot of drashot and making sure that a lot of people, first in Morocco, will they'll be exposed to his learning Torah, to his way of learning Torah, to his way of learning halacha. His nickname is Maayan veOker Harim. He's a spring, and he、yes. also uproots uproots mountains. Uproot mountain because he takes the sugya in Gemara. And he puts it all by itself, like he will isolate、yeah. the sugiah and focus in the sugiah, just in those specific, specific,、uh, like take it into little, little parts,、mm-hmm. take it into parts, and then interpretates it. So he had a different way of learning that was different in Morocco at that time, and he felt the need to, to expose people to that way of learning because he thought that that's the depth that can come from learning in that way. And the second thing I think, and that's something that I ask myself a lot: How come people don't know the rabbis that were in Morocco and the huge Torah that was in not only in Morocco but in Tunis, in Algeria, in Iraq? Because we're not familiar. Stam in Israeli schools, you don't learn about.、Yeah. Any of the Sephardi rabbis,、uh, they're not even hardly mentioned. I live in Yerucham. My kids learned a lot about them. <laughs> But it depends where、so、you're living. That's amazing. But I think also that's only、uh, in the last years. So I think the second reason, besides for Orachaim giving drashot, and, and and I think it was important for him to show his way of learning. I think the second、uh, reason is that there was no printers, like we said, in the,、mm-hmm. those Islamic countries, because they thought it contradicts the Quran. It's a whole different reason, but because they couldn't, weren't able to print their books and to send them away to different countries, like they did in Ashkenazic countries, they were able to print them and to send them out to different countries, to Israel, to Islamic countries.、Mm-hmm. So I know in Islamic countries they were reading the Torah of the rabbis from Ashkenaz, but they, the people from Morocco, weren't able to send their Torah、mm-hmm. to outside countries. So Orachaim,、uh, by taking the journey to travel to Italy. In the 1700s,、oh. and and fundraising the journey and the printers that was enabled him to to send out his Torah, and that's why he was known already during his life. But I think it was important for him that、wow. that's why he took that effort to do that.、That's、so interesting, Ken. Okay, there's so many other questions we could ask, and I'm I'm so curious. And you're just wetting my appetite, and I hope everybody else is to le- to read more about the about the Orochaim. But I think we'll we'll take a turn, and we'll look a little bit about what he has to say on this week's parasha、um, to bring some of that to our to our weekend to our Shabbat table. So parashat mishpatim, we have so many little details, and and I think that in order to what I try to do is I try to focus each year on a different on a different、uh, theme or pasuk that I like,、yeah. and I thought to talk about the mitzvah of gerim, which is often translated as converts, but it's an inappropriate translation when it comes to the Torah. It means an outsider. An outsider, an alien, is the official term.、Can. An alien who is someone who is not indigenous to the local culture. And he's coming in to your community, and he's got that label. 
mm-hmm. that he's from the outside and he doesn't really familiar with all the little uh, ways of how to behave or how to speak or the language or the culture of that community mm-hmm. and the pasuk would say in perek kafbet veger lo tone velo tilchatseno ki gerim haitem be'eretz mitzrayim so Rashi and Ramban and Ibn Ezra, they're all talking about how we're not allowed to mm-hmm. take advantage of them, of, of their, them not being familiar with the culture of, of that community. If you want one example of that, by the way, just think back to the story of Sodom. The story of Sodom is our, is our best earliest example in Torah of the, what, what we would call xenophobia, of being utterly scared of the outsider. A lot of times we look at that story and think it's about sodomy or about sexual misconduct, but it, it's not. The, the crux of the story is really about being unable to accept somebody from the outside. So that's, that's an extreme horrible example of, yeah. uh, of how a gear can be treated, but it's one of the first examples that Torah gives us. It's already in the 19th chapter in Sefer Breshit. Okay, so Orachim is saying very beautifully, he's, first of all, he goes over the Rashi and Ramban and Ibn Ezra, but he is saying um, the fact that the Pasuk is saying Ki gerim it's not just only so that you would remember or you have the notion of what it's like to be an outsider, but it's also so that you wouldn't feel yourself like, oh, I'm part of Am Israel and I'm part of the community and he's not, mm-hmm. and therefore I'm allowed or um, not to treat him as someone who is part of my community. So Orachayim is saying, Ki gerim haitem be'eretz Mitzrayim, you have done the same process. Like your souls and the outsider soul is coming from the same place. Don't see yourself as hierarchy, in the hierarchy or higher than him, mm-hmm. because your soul is coming from a deeper place for you belong to Am Yisrael and he doesn't belong to Am Yisrael. Right, it's part of like this paradox because we're the chosen people or we're God's nation. And here I'm, I'm being inspired, I believe, by Rev Sachs. It's, sometimes it's hard for me to remember anymore what, what I've read in his amazing words and what's already been inculcated. But he, but he says something to the effect of it's very easy to become conceited, right? Or we could think that we're higher than everybody else because we, we were chosen by God. But, but the Torah reminds us, you know, tens of times to remember that we also experience that, that life of being the outsider, but don't think that just because I chose you that that means that you're better than somebody else. Meaning don't take that, that chosenness and use it as a ticket to make, to take advantage of other people. I think one of the things that I understood that Mamash blew my mind when I read Rav Zaks about the chosen people, that he said, you're chosen to, to do something. Mm-hmm. It's not that you are the chosen people. But you are chosen to do something. Yeah. And then what is your responsibility as someone that they have a role in the world? And, and you can say also that other nations have other roles. Yeah. Like each person and, and as an individual, I was born with uh, some uh, advantages and disadvantages. And what is my role in the world? And as, as the same thing you can say as a nation, we as a nation were chosen to do something in the world. And what is our responsibility? So Orachayim HaKadosh is saying that in order to be this Amsgula, in order to be those chosen nation, we had to be Gerim first. We had to be the outsider and we had to go through the process of, he says, like to peel our souls and to take out all the external things that caused us to be the outsider until we were able to be Am Yisrael. And then 
when you look at the stranger or the outland, the outsider, when you look at the girl, remember that you had to go through the same process. And that, that's for, there's no meaning to it that your neshama is higher than his neshama. Two thoughts in response. One is that it really just reminds me, and I want us to all put this piece together, that Moshe goes through this process first, okay? He, when he, he calls his son Gershom, ki ger haiti beretz nochriya, that that HaKadosh Baruch finds it utterly important that our leader go through that process before we go through that process, right? Moshe has to run away, he has to go to Midian to then come back. And he's able to relate to us because he himself was an outsider. If he had just grown up in the palace, then he just would have been this privileged young man. And then that wouldn't have been a relating point between us and Moshe. So Moshe, and with that etymology of Ger Haiti Beretz Nochriya, that he goes through it, he becomes sort of the emblematic Ger who's able to come back be chosen for a job to do something and then, and then move forward just like we do later. That's one thought that just coming to mind. Uh, so it's like a that. spiral. Moshe had to do it. We as a nation have to do it. And now today we have the responsibility to do it towards to everyone who's coming in. 100%. Another thing I want to say is also to connect us back to the Rochaim's Kabbalistic roots is that when he speaks about the klipot, okay, that's a, that's a Kabbalistic term, right? Uh-huh. So we can, I don't really always know what it means, but we can try it. It definitely connects to all, certainly the, midra, the, the Midrashim that speak about the fact that we were also in a very low place in Mitzrayim, right? They're most of the Midrashim look at us as having been full of Tum'ah. There are a few that speak about Dafka a different perspective, but I think he's referring to those ideas. Yes, we were there at the low bottom and we had to do a job. We had to go through some sort of a journey in order to be able to receive Torah, in order to be able to go into Israel and in order to be the people that were chosen to do something in the world. And uh, the Gerim has to do uh, uh, some sort of uh, the same process. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he doesn't stop there. And when the parasha is talking about Almana V'yatom, Mamash and the few psukim later on, Kol Almana V'yatom Lo Ta'anum. Can't afflict any uh, any widow or any orphan. Im ane ta'ane oto, ki im itza'ok itza'ak elai shamoa eshma tza'akato. Because if you afflict them, and then they cry to me, I will hear their cry. Okay, meaning it's very clear who is the guilty party in this situation. And also you would see that it's so beautiful. It's ane ta'ane, tza'ok itza'ak, shamoa eshma, everything yeah. is... A like, coupling. There's a, a coupling. coupling. Yeah. And uh, and Chaim is asking, why do we need to say oto? Im ane ta'ane, if you'll torture... In English, you have to say him, but in Hebrew, you don't have to say, there is no, there is no, um, I think it's called the definite particle. There is no definite particle in the rest of the sentence. So why do we need it at all? Yes, because it's obvious that we're talking about the widow and the orphan. Mm -hmm. And then Ochaim is saying, um, because you need to understand that if you're doing it to the orphan, to the widow, to someone else, it will come back to you. It's like a boomerang. It's auto, but it's actually you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to understand that your action will have um, an influence not only on the people that you are mistreating, but it will have eventually in some godly way, which mm-hmm. I don't know, but in Hashem calculation, it will come back to, come back to you. Mm-hmm. And this is the word auto. Like, how do you see how your action influence you in your life? So, the last thing that I, I wanted to talk about is Orachaim interpretation to mitzvah tzedakah, charity. 
that Or Chaim, I think he sees it, I don't know, when I read Parashat Mishpatim, I see a theme. And I think the theme of justice and charity and how do you treat the people that are, that are less fortunate than you is kind of the theme with it, that, that Or Chaim is, is following in this mm-hmm. parasha. And Or Chaim is saying the, the importance of mitzvat tzedakah, the importance of giving charity, it's because it doesn't belong to you. Meaning if you have money, good for you, and, and use it for whatever you need. But if you have more money than what you actually need, and that's also already a question is, how much do I need? Mm-hmm. But if you have more money than what you need, that means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you uh, more. And the question is, what do you do with that more? So obviously you can you can need more, meaning you can have more needs, and then you will spend it on you, on your family. But Orachayim is saying the mitzvah of tzedakah, the charity, is when a Kadosh Baruch Hu gives you more, it's because you are the line to give out to other people. It doesn't really belong to you. You're just the tzinor. You're just the... Right, you're the channel through which it's given uh, Exactly, it's you're given the channel that a Kadosh Baruch Hu wants to give it through you. Mm-hmm. And it belongs to other people. It's not really yours. And I think the way of looking at the world and looking at, Bichlal, in the culture that we live in today, that uh, mm-hmm. like Shlomo will keep asking me, what do you want? And I keep on saying, the question is, what do I need? And I think it's something that, that we live in the world that we want all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely want a lot of things. But the question is that we need to be very, to balance it a bit more, I think, in our culture is what do we need? And then what do we do with things that we don't need? And what do we do when we have more than we need? And to who it belongs and to have that knowledge or to da'ah that we actually, it's not ours, meaning Hashem is using us in order to spread those things in the world. So what what is our responsibility or what is our obligation towards things that we don't need and we still have them? And how are we in charge of the people in our community or to balance it a bit better what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving through us? I think also what comes through in the ideas that you've shared in the, in the past few minutes is, is the sort of moral education that the old Chaim is trying to give to people who might in their situation, think that they could be better than others. Okay. Meaning I think that the Torah is obviously getting to that point, but the, but both through the comment about the gear and also the comment here about staka, it's, it's this comment of you could think that you are in a higher place, but let's just make sure that we alter our consciousness to realize that we're not really supposed to be there, that we're supposed to be, remember that we were chosen to do something, right? Or that we were given this money perhaps, but it's in order to, supply what we need and also to help others for what they need. It's sort of this like constant leveling of society. And so the Psukim speak about it by reminding us that we were destitute of Mitzrayim. Uh, and the Rochaim, I feel like, is sort of um, trying to mold the consciousness of people who could be the haves and to remind them that you have in order to also enable other people to have as well. I think it's like putting on glasses mm-hmm. and looking at reality and looking at your mitziut through the notion that HaKadosh Baruch Hu owns everything in the world, in us, in the nation. And then if you look at mm-hmm. through the, the glasses that will have you see the perspective of HaKadosh Baruch Hu mendeling everything in the reality, then you see that you have a role and you have obligation and you have responsibility. And with great power comes great responsibility. And this is, I think, what Orachim is trying to, to say here. What is your responsibility? Social responsibility. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. 
I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Thank you to the entire Matan team for their input. Please do One-on-One and Women's Torah Learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and Matan's website, and write us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.